A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. I'm back. Esther Webber is back. But much more importantly, the Prime Minister is back, which means we can have actual Prime Minister's questions for the first time since March the 25th. Back then, there'd been about 500 deaths from coronavirus. It's now up to over 29,000. Uh, it's also the first time, the last time that Boris Johnson was here, he was confronting Jeremy Corbyn. I suspect he's about to find that um, confronting Keir Starmer is a slightly different prospect. Esther, before we, we pile into to Boris Johnson's first PMQs back, what are we expecting? What are you looking out for? Who do you think is going to have the best wallpaper? Well, I think it will be a very different beast from the last time we commentated uh, when Dominic Raab was filling in for the Prime Minister. In a way, Raab and Keir Starmer are more similar politicians, whereas, as we know, Boris is a bit more of a performer. And he also had some sort of public goodwill, I think, behind him as a result of his illness, his serious illness, although with some of the possible ebbing away of public support, it will be interesting to see whether Starmer pushes a bit harder on some of the lockdown exit strategy points. And I think there's a really interesting, there's a feeling that we're moving into a new stage now that I think we talked about the last time we did this. In the beginning, there was some nervousness on the part of the opposition not to go piling in with criticism. They were incredibly supportive. On the day that the lockdown was announced later that evening, in the daytime, John Ashworth, the Shadow Health Secretary, was very tentative, uh, was reluctant to even call it a lockdown, was was concerned about the impact on the low paid and those without sick pay. Uh, but now it feels like the government has got a record it can be held to and there were so many examples of particularly government scientific advisors talking about how 20,000 deaths would be seen as a as a good result uh, from the uh, measures they were taking but now way way past that so to some extent now at least the government can be held to account on its record and yeah. its promises and what it said publicly rather than a few weeks ago nobody really knew how this thing was going to pan out yeah things have shifted a lot since then we wouldn't have to we've even had to make adjustments to the way deaths are recorded and announced to reflect the really great numbers of people dying in care homes which I also expect the Prime Minister will be asked about. Yeah, and as you say, the sheer numbers, you know, at every point we're being told it's too soon to make international comparisons. 
but it does look now as though we are set to have one of the highest, if not highest, death tolls. And it'll be interesting to see if Boris Johnson gets a ticking off of the common speaker because of his plan to announce changes to the lockdown in a press conference on Sunday and not in the House of Commons. But here we go then. Lindsay Hoyle, the speaker in the chair, We now calls come to PMQs. questions the Prime Minister. I would like to welcome the Prime Minister back to his rightful place in the chair. Welcoming the PM back. And a little ripple of tears even in a half-empty chamber. I now call the Prime Minister to answer his engagement question. Mr Speaker, thank you for your kind words. And it is good to be back, even though I've been away uh, for longer than I had intended. I would like to pay tribute... Uh, today to the 107 NHS and 29 care workers and all those who have sadly died from coronavirus. I know that the sympathies of the House are with their family and friends. And if I may, Mr Speaker, I would like to place on the record in this House my own thanks to all the staff at St Thomas's Hospital for the brilliant care that I received. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I will have further such meetings later today. I think it's fair to say that one of the appointments he's had has not been a meeting with his hairdresser. It looks as wild as ever. <laughs> well, we can all sympathise there. But no, in fact, I've, I've, I've been cutting my own hair. Um, I just haven't ventured out to show anyone yet. I look forward to seeing the evidence. <laughs> ...the southwest, including my constituency of East Devon. While I'm currently asking visitors to come back later once the lockdown has ended, I want to make sure our vital tourism industry survives. A good West Country question from Simon Jupp. Uh, MP for East Devon, uh, used to be in the patch that I used to cover. He's asking about tourism, trying to get some support for the industry, which is so important in, in pockets of the country. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, Mr Speaker, I can. Uh, and I thank my honourable friend for what he's doing to campaign for tourism in uh, East Devon. And I can tell him that we're adding another uh, 1.3 million uh, to help uh, the tourism industry in that area. Uh, clearly, I think the priority of the government and uh, I believe of the, of the whole House is now to suppress uh, this disease further. Uh, as we uh, do that, to get our economy going again and to encourage tourism across our whole country uh, and, of course, East Devon in particular. I now call the Leader of the and Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I welcome the Prime Minister back to his place uh, and say that it's good to see him back in Parliament? I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say that. And although I've done this privately, can I congratulate him publicly with Carrie uh, on the birth of their son? Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister returned to work a week ago Monday, he said that many people were looking at the apparent success of the government's approach. But yesterday we learnt, tragically, that at least 29,427 people in the UK have now lost their lives to this dreadful virus. That's now the highest number in Europe. It's the second highest in the world. That's not success or apparent success. So can the Prime Minister tell us how on earth did it come to this? A really powerful question there from Keir Starmer. He's not pulling any punches there. Death is a tragedy and he's right to to draw attention to the uh, appalling statistics, uh, not just in this country, but of course around the world. And I, I think I would echo really in answer to his question what we've heard from uh, Professor David Spiegelhalter 
and others uh, that at this stage, at this stage, I don't think that uh, international comparisons and uh, the data is is yet there to draw the conclusions. And there we go. He's saying again, we can't make these foreign comparisons, which is yeah. which is a, a reasonable point to make. Were not for the government using government compar- international comparisons in its own charts at the press conferences. Yes. And the inclusion of the word yet rather begs the question, well, when can we? We took and whether uh, we could have taken different decisions. But I have absolutely no doubt that what the people of this country want us to do now is, as I said just now, to suppress this disease, to keep suppressing this disease and to begin the work of getting our country's economy back on its feet. And I look forward to working with him and colleagues around the House to do just that. Mr Speaker, the argument that international comparisons can't really be made when the government's been using slides like this for weeks... Oh, there we are. Keir Starmer's <laughs> literally got the slide we were just talking about. And I think, strictly speaking, that counts as a prop, which is not allowed in the House of Commons. But the UK was slow into lockdown, slow on testing, slow on tracing, and slow on the supply of protective equipment. And I want to go to yesterday's figures that show that whilst happily in hospitals it looks as though deaths are falling... Deaths in care homes continue to go up. At the press conference last night, the Deputy Chief Scientific Advisor said, and I quote, what this shows us is that there's a real issue that we need to get to grips with in in relation to what's happening in care homes. I I couldn't agree more. But 12 weeks after the Health Secretary declared that we're in a health crisis, I have to ask the Prime Minister, why hasn't the government got to grips with this already? Uh, Again, that's a pretty stark question for the Prime Minister about why the situation in care homes isn't being brought under control. Is something I I bitterly uh, regret and uh, we've been working very hard for weeks to uh, to get it done and a huge amount of effort has has been uh, gone into by uh, literally tens of thousands of people to get the right it's interesting, Matt Hancock is one of the few MPs in the chamber nodding along uh, as the Prime Minister sort of defends the strategy so far. ...the state of the epidemic in care homes. If he looks at the figures, in the last few days, uh, there has been a palpable improvement. Uh, we must hope that that continues and we will ensure that it does continue. Kirsten. Mr Speaker, uh, I'm grateful for that. I was using the slide the government put up at its press conference last night, which shows, sadly, that... And I I accept there's a lag to the 24th of April because of the reporting position, but that, sadly, deaths in care homes have been rising every time they've been reported by the ONS. Um, and, and, And I have heard before from the First Secretary that numbers were falling. He said that a week ago Sunday. That's not borne out by these slides. We will wait to see what the next slides bring. Mr Speaker, on the 30th of April... It's a, it's a pretty devastating approach that Keir Starmer's taking here. You, you know, literally using the government's own slides as a stick to beat them with, or at least hold them to account. And that's where I think where the sort of the generalisations that uh, the government has used at times have sort of get caught out by the by the actual facts and the and the hard numbers. So high. 
Prime Minister. Well, actually, I think that uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman was right last week when he paid tribute to the amazing work of uh, the NHS, uh, the logistics team, everybody involved in getting up from 2,000 uh, tests a day in March to uh, t- uh, 120. This feels like padding, if you don't mind me saying so, Prime Minister. Um, thanking someone for last week paying tribute is, is that's weapons grade flag. about 100,000 uh, a day, but the ambition clearly is to get up to 200,000 a day by uh, the end of this month and then to go even higher. And as he knows and the whole, whole house will know, uh, testing, a, a, a fantastic testing regime is going to be absolutely critical to our long-term uh, economic recovery. Kirsten. Uh, Mr Speaker, I did pay tribute last week and um, I'm glad the Prime Minister has now said that the target now is 200,000 tests a day by the end of this month. Um, But of course, just having a target uh, isn't a strategy. What is needed is testing, tracing and isolation. That's the strategy. Contact tracing was happening in the UK, uh, but it was abandoned in mid-March. We were told at the time that this was because it was, quote, not an appropriate mechanism. But yesterday, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer said it it was to do with testing capacity. So can the Prime Minister just clarify the position for us? Why was contact tracing abandoned in mid-March and not restarted sooner? Prime Minister. If looks could kill, the way that Matt Hancock was looking at Keir Starmer is pretty devastating. Yeah, this is really sticky stuff. Uh, confirm the difficulty in in mid-March was that uh, the uh, tracing capacity that we had and that had been useful as he as he rightly says in the containment phase of the epidemic uh, that capacity was no longer uh, useful or relevant since the uh, transmission from individuals within the UK Uh, meant that it exceeded our capacity then. Now, the value of the test tracking and tracing operation that we're setting up now is that as we come out of the epidemic... That's really interesting. I think that's the first time that someone senior in the government has confirmed the reason that they stopped contact tracing in mid-March was basically they couldn't cope with the number of cases. And that is basically what marks the UK out from, say, South Korea, which is much better prepared in terms of having the capacity for carrying out those huge number of cases uh, to do now that we built up the team on the on the way out than it was uh, as the epidemic took off and i think uh, most people with with common sense can see those uh, particular difficulties that we had at the time yes yeah, which is a only different explanation from the one that's been given from john newton who's in charge of the testing program uh, to succeed and we'll all support that uh, in uh, hopefully it's succeeding. really smart there Keir Starmer you know basically really needling them on the details but then going on to wish them well for the future contact tracing scheme said that 48 percent of doctors had to buy their protective equipment for themselves or rely on donations that's clearly unacceptable and it's obvious that this problem is going to get even more acute if and when the government asks people to return to work We're clearly going to need a very robust national plan for protective equipment. Can the Prime Minister reassure the public that they won't be asked to return to work until that plan is in place? Prime Minister. Uh, Yes, Mr Speaker, I I certainly can. And I share his frustration uh, 
about it's, PP and the frustration. A guarantee there from the Prime Minister that people won't be asked to routinely go back to work until they've got a proper PPE plan for NHS staff. Again, to the work of hundreds of thousands of people uh, involved in the logistics of supplying literally billions. Yeah, the more of items more paying of tribute there. It's really interesting seeing Boris Johnson looking around the chamber. Normally, he would be doing that to have to be, you know, cheered on, heckled on by his MPs. And uh, it's really interesting. The wide shot of the uh, House of Commons, when you see it, is completely empty, uh, bar a handful of MPs. Um, and so he's not getting that sort of support. He probably feels much more exposed uh, to uh, to the criticism that he's getting from Keir Starmer. Yeah, and maybe we we could have predicted this. But it feels more like a courtroom, obviously, which is what Keir Starmer is used to, than the bare pit of the Commons, which is where Boris Johnson tends to thrive. Children at home struggling with caring responsibilities. If they're to return to work, and if their children are to return to school, they need reassurance. I think we can all feel that, reassurance that it'll be safe to do so. And that means they do need to know what the government's plan is for the next stage. So will the, will the Prime Minister give him that reassurance by setting out his plan, as he says he will, or will he come to this House on Monday uh, to present that plan uh, and have questions across the House? Prime Mr Speaker, I will, of course, uh, undertake that there uh, will be a statement uh, to the House, as, uh, as you, Mr Speaker, and the House would properly expect about uh, what we propose tonight. So I just want to explain... It's not quite a commitment that he's going to come to the House and set out his plans. Because I'm sure you'd be interested uh, to know that. The, the reason for that is very simple, that, that uh, we, know, we have to be sure that the data is going to support our ability to, uh, to do this. Uh, but... Uh, that data is coming in continuously over the next uh, few days. Uh, we'll want, if we possibly can, to get going with some of these measures on Monday. I think it would be a good thing, Mr Speaker, if, if people had an idea of what's coming the following day. That's why I think a Sunday, uh, the weekend, is the best time to do it. But of course, the House will be fully informed and the House will have the full opportunity to debate and <laughs> interrogate. Prime Minister, every Prime Minister I've reported on has been ticked off in the past for making announcements outside the House rather than in. Theresa Villiers, the former cabinet minister, who has a London constituency, so she's attending the house. Announcements on London Underground wrongly saying they shouldn't be on the system unless they're key workers. Will the Prime Minister ask the Mayor to restore public transport capacity in London so my constituents can travel safely and we can keep as much of the economy going as possible? Prime Minister, uh, Theresa Villiers there sounding a bit like one of the many Tory members who are impatient for a return to work and guidance to allow that. Yeah, I think she, she's probably been described in recent days as a grandee. Uh, there's various stories about Tory grandees calling on the government to, to lift the lockdown and, and uh, put the economy... Uh, further up the agenda. I mean, it's a, it's a massive... I mean, even if we park the question of what's gone before and were we too late into the lockdown and testing and so on, there is a massive decision to be made by the government about to what extent they prioritise 
keeping the number of infections down against uh, getting the economy moving again. And, you know, there's talk that Rishi Sunak, it was reported in the Times uh, this morning, that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, is wants to already start dialing down some of the financial support uh, for oh. businesses. Now, we've got Ian Blackford up now. That I assume that, oh, um, <laughs> Esther, is the... Your eye caught by the tartan blinds that Ian Blackford seems to have installed since last we gathered. I think last time we had a view of the interior of his study or spare room, and now we've got this tartan backdrop just in case we were in any doubts about Ian Blackford's political allegiances. Over the last few days, I do agree with the Prime Minister when he says the worst thing that we could do now is ease up the lockdown too soon and allow for a second peak of this deadly virus. So the SNP, they're stressing the need to avoid a second jump Many people might like to travel, for example, to the tourist areas during the better weather. Will you join with me in reminding everyone that non-essential travel is not permitted? And does he agree with me that the First Minister of Scotland and our approach should be only led by the best medical and scientific advice, not the politics of posturing. All the politics of posturing from an from a SNP MP is quite the accusation. He wouldn't know anything about that. The ability of the governments of all four nations to come together and to deliver very... I mean, we have seen a degree of uh, posturing, it has to be said, from Nicola Sturgeon, but who has, who has done her best to sort of pre-announce almost everything that's been agreed at COBRA in the past, trying to find points of difference with the uh, with the Westminster approach, although not in any material way, just sort of being slightly more open about some of the considerations about opening schools and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's been a useful trail for the media. It's interesting that the Prime Minister agreeing to echo Ian Blackford's call for a stress on it was still not, to be, not meant to be making non-essential journeys because I have noticed it is busier in terms of traffic. ministers are not following his own advice. Instead of working with the Scottish Government, the Scottish Secretary of State has been making political arguments about the Constitution rather than scientific ones about saving lives. Wow, I mean, this is quite something. The SNP complaining about someone else making a constitutional point. This is the time <laughs> when we all must work together to protect our NHS and to save lives. We anticipate the Prime Minister will be making a televised address on Sunday concerning the easing of lockdown. This cannot be undertaken without the full input and cooperation of all our devolved governments. We must end this period of mixed messaging from the UK government. Will the Prime Minister commit today? <laughs> I mean, that's quite something. But most of the mixed messaging has been coming from uh, Hollywood, where uh, Nicola Sturgeon has been giving different messages to what the UK government is talking about. Alistair Jack, as the Scottish Secretary was talking about, he's, he's at one point was out of action because they thought he had coronavirus. For his kind words about uh, about Wilfred, and I just want to uh, thank him for that because I forgot to uh, to say that. I'll be I'll be marked down if, if I don't. Uh, so thank you. Uh, 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 <laughs> um, uh, and I, I just, I listen, I, I, I share uh, the right honourable gentleman's uh, aims. We, we will do our level best. But also, uh, sure that, you know, uh, the calling 
attract the asking government to rule out mixed messages. I don't know how achievable that is going to be. We're going to have to introduce some element of nuance if, if, if the lockdown is going to be used at all. Exactly right. And, and I'm not sure any government has ever committed to have mixed messages. Um, also interesting, Boris Johnson referring to his son Wilfred uh, in the House of Commons uh, for a man who's very, very closely guarded any reference to uh, his family. Even even him ne- using the name of one of his children in public is, I'm not sure he's ever uh, actually done that. Certainly not in recent times. Uh, but obviously, you know, people um, sending their congratulations for him becoming a, a father amidst everything else that's going on in the world. Yeah, and he seems quite, quite happy just now to mention it, which is maybe a sort of bright spot among everything else. To delivering net zero by 2050. So, can my right honourable friend promise to bring forward the oil and gas sector deal as soon as possible? And commit the UK government. So this is dangerously like a normal edition of PMQs now. Andrew Bowie, former uh, government minister, asking about oil and gas and tackling climate change. Is that a new job title for Alok Sharma, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Clean Growth? Thank you, Mr. I think so. I missed that new department. Alton and Cheshire West and Chester councils covering my constituents. Labour MP challenge, providing essential services to vulnerable residents and businesses during this crisis. The government promised to do whatever it takes and fully compensate those councils and councils across the country. Yet both are millions of pounds short of the cost so far, billions nationally. How will the Prime Minister fulfil that funding promise and not return to the dark days of austerity? Prime Minister. well, Mr. Speaker, I can, I can certainly uh, tell him that uh, the government has absolutely no intention of returning to the uh, A word, uh, which I won't quote. Uh, that is not uh, going to be our approach. So this is Boris an interesting Johnson. thing. Boris Johnson the other day yeah. said he didn't like the word austerity. Mm. Um, and I, and I, it was one of those things where I wasn't sure that people in the, in the coalition who imposed uh, deep spending cuts liked the word austerity. Um, most of them thought were doing it because they thought it was the right thing to do to balance the, the nation's books and you can argue about whether all that worked or or whether it was the right time or speed to do it but um uh, Boris Johnson elected as a mayor of London and then uh, an MP um, under those very governments that um, were pursuing austerity so it's interesting now we won't even use the word yeah and a reflection of the new political reality maybe because the, the level of government support that is required at the moment is not fading away any time soon. Well, no, but I mean, it's also, there was a striking suggestion that the amount of money currently being spent, is it something like £6 billion being spent on furloughing uh, workers who can't work at the moment, the government's paying their wages instead, is basically the same uh, cost of running the NHS. Uh, So that's not something that can last uh, forever. But if the lockdown can't be lifted because uh, there's still too many cases and uh, you want to make sure the NHS doesn't become overwhelmed, then what does the government do in that situation? Does it stop paying and, and then you end up with a lot of people on out-of-work benefits and potentially um, the, the, the economic misery stretching way beyond the, the health crisis? 
We go across to Justin Mathers. Justin Mathers. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Undoubtedly, the furlough scheme has prevented mass unemployment. But when companies like BA use millions of pounds of public money to furlough their staff at the same time as handing out redundancy notices, it's a kick in the teeth to both those workers and the I'll taxpayer. And it's concerning that, that Justin Mathers has a nice old vintage Labour poster in the background there. It would have been better if he'd have positioned Can it so we could see it properly. I think it's I think it's the, it's Labour versus the West, which was a a poster from nineteen twenty four, and in fact he's just been ticked off by Lindsay Hoyle. So uh, do not encourage them to do that, Esther. Oh damn. <laughs> I thought that was going to set a new trend, even though Keir was allowed to wave his papers around. I think that's all right. I think that's government uh, propaganda rather than uh, opposition. Mm. I mean, it's a good poster, actually. It's a, it's um, it's got it's Labour versus the West, and it's got someone kicking a vote, a ball with your vote on it into a goal, and then other people saying that's where we want it. So it's a sort of footballing thing. I'm not quite sure. So what does that mean? They want Labour to kick your vote into the opposition's goal? It doesn't really work as a metaphor, actually. I'll take it back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Matt Hancock, well, deep uh, in thought, looking at his folder, obviously trying to work out how he's going to square everything that Keir Starmer said with what's actually going on. We've heard this warning today about how many how many young people leaving education are going to be facing unemployment, up to 600,000. The resolution foundation have calculated. This really does feel like a, a repeat of history of what happened in the wake of the financial crash of 2008, when it was young people leaving school and university at that point who were really badly hit when trying to find employment yeah. later on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Oh, here's Mary Black. Talking of young people, Mary Black, former baby of the house, I think, um, appearing with two guitars in the background. Yeah, and some sort of signed football shirt, I think, in the background there, which hopefully she'll share more details about later. Can why he feels people who are sick or have a disability require less support at this time? Prime Minister, as she, as, she, as she knows, what we have done is uh, remove the seven-day waiting time uh, for, for, for ESA, and uh, I'm, I'm glad, though, that she pays tribute to the uh, big increase in universal credit, another £1,040, uh, benefiting uh, four million families across this country, uh, a total investment of £7 billion. But I think what everybody wants to see is uh, not just people taking universal credit, but as, as I've said now several times, uh, what they want to see is a careful, sensible programme, attracting the widest possible uh, support uh, to continue to suppress the disease right down, but to allow our economy to start up again. Simon Fell. Boris Johnson really trying to sort of encourage a sort of sense of political unity. He's waving his arms around. He wants everyone to support his plan. I think he's increasingly, as time goes on, maintaining that cross-party consensus. This initiative will obviously be significantly enhanced by the 100 million given by the Education Secretary recently. But the member for Harlow, the chair of the Education Select Committee, has suggested that when schools do go back, a catch-up premium should be brought in to close the gap between those most disadvantaged and left behind. And also the appeal for political unity is kind of one of the main weapons he's got left at the moment because of the seriousness of the problems that Keir Starmer highlighted earlier. And in fact, Keir Starmer this week, including in a piece for Red Box, set out his appeal for a national consensus on what happens next, which in itself is quite a high-risk strategy, I think, for Keir Starmer, because ultimately he does need this to be Boris Johnson's plan. If if the next stage, uh, if, for instance, uh, Keir Starmer uh, got his consensus on what should happen next, the sectors that should should have restrictions lifted uh, coming out of the lockdown. If that goes wrong and then there's another spike, does Keir Starmer own that as well? Rob Butler showing off a pretty snazzy bit of artwork in the background. I'm not sure if it's a painting or a sort of manipulated photo, but it's, it's probably the best bit of art we've had so far, given that Justin Madder's poster has been ruled out of order. Yeah. We can also see some lovely waving ivy outside his window. Glimpse green in there. Prime Minister. Uh, well, as a, as a thank you, uh, I thank my honourable friend as a, as a great believer in buses and part-time manufacturer. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I agree very strongly with him about the good work done by Bernie, uh, the bus, uh, and all who uh, support it and, and travel uh, therein? Boris confirming <laughs> he loves buttons. And uh, I think the reference to part-time manufacturing might be the bizarre story about him um, making his own buses out of wine crates, which is one of the most bizarre interviews of last year. Lillian Greenwood has somehow recreated a normal office in her house. A row of uh, sort of beige filing cabinets and several wilting plants. It looks like she's wandered onto the set of The Office. David Brent just out of just out of shot. Well, that's uh, PMQ's uh, come to an end uh, now, uh, slightly shorter than um, previous uh, weeks, lasting just about half an hour. So, Esther, what do you think we learnt from that? And where do you think... 
Boris Johnson. What do you think is going through Boris Johnson's mind right now as he as he leaves the chamber? I'm not sure he'll be altogether pleased with that. I mean, I think it played to some of Keir Starmer's predictable strengths in terms of detailed interrogation, which, as we mentioned before, is possibly easier to do in the slightly more sombre setting of the Commons that we see now. And Boris Johnson will have to learn from that, and he will be going away thinking that he needs more detailed rebuttals on some of the things that we predicted he would be asked about, about the death toll, about care homes, and about this point on test and trace. You're right, there's this question of test and trace, both uh, why we weren't doing it before, and his admission that part of the reason why we, we dropped uh, test and trace in mid-March was because we didn't have the capacity for it. I think that will be picked up by people. Of well, why why was if we've managed to get from uh, not many tests to a hundred thousand tests a day in a month, and they're talking about doubling that again to two hundred thousand, another target handed down to Matt Hancock. Um, I assume that Matt Hancock knew about that when Boris Johnson announced it. But if we managed to do that, surely we might have been able to do that. Maybe you know in February or even at the beginning of March, really start cranking up, and then maybe that could test. Uh, test and trace uh, could have continued I think that was an interesting thing I was also struck at the, at one point that Boris Johnson mentioned that the the tr- contact tracing system can already deal with hundreds of thousands of people he obviously thinks they're they're ready to 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 get stuck into the current level of coronavirus cases in a way if they can successfully ramp up to use the the terrible phrase everyone's using <laughs> if they can do that right now that's great and people will welcome that but it does sort of beg the question of why it was not done before. I did hear one explanation previously from Professor John Newton, who's been coordinating the testing for the government, and he was suggesting that tracing anyway is much more practical now than it was at the beginning, simply because people are are making fewer contacts Whereas at least now we're starting from a base where people are making fewer journeys. I think you're right. One of the things that I've read uh, a few times and heard from some of the government uh, scientists as well is is this sense that uh, early in February, uh, the government thought that this... This thing was containable. Their contact tracing was was working. They were picking up. But it seems like the part of the problem is this lag between when you get the infection, but you are infectious and you start showing symptoms. And it sounds like it's been, it's been described as three days or five days when you could be moving around, not know that you've got it, but you're spreading it. And if at the same time you've got people flying in from places like Italy and Spain that were ahead of us potentially in the outbreak, um, we suddenly reached a point where a whole load of cases uh, suddenly presented themselves in uh, early to mid-March. And that actually meant that it was so widespread in the country at that point that, that there was no way of re- retracing all the steps because you, you find someone who's got a case, uh, you have to f- find everyone that they've seen in the last five days, you have to then find everyone that they've seen in the last five days and that the, the, the just sort of uh, totally overwhelms yeah. the system. Yeah, quickly gets out of hand. And I think... Um, Keir Starmer showed that that he will be con- continue to be quizzed on this because, on, on reflection, this is the first time he's really 
had a grilling since he's been back because he has taken questions at the press conference but not been grilled in this kind of sustained way. I thought it was really interesting when you said it is like a courtroom, partly because of the atmosphere, it's so quiet, uh, and also the way that uh, Keir Starmer is sort of prosecuting his case, as you, as you like, and Boris Johnson is in the dock. And actually... Even if the House of Commons chamber was full, I think it'd be quite difficult for him to, you know, play to the gallery, if you like, to, to get some laughs. Yeah. It's quite difficult to do that with Keir Starmer. It's even more difficult to do it in the in the sort of sombre courtroom atmosphere that the Commons chamber currently is. You could have seen him getting some sort of murmurs and momentum behind him if he were to kind of accuse Keir Starmer of trying to whip up some kind of climb of public disapproval, but obviously he he didn't even have that recourse today. He did look at at times a, a touch isolated. Matt Hancock sitting to you know if the Commons Chamber had been full. Uh, and uh, Keir Starmer was saying something that Matt Hancock disagreed with. You'd expect Matt Hancock to shout across the, the, the dispatch box. It's much more difficult to do that um, when the Commons isn't full. Uh, just to tie it all together then, I think for me, me the most sort of devastating question from Keir Starmer was when he said, how on earth did it come to this? Given the government, if you take it face value, the government did everything it could when it said it would, and you know they said that 20,000 was a good uh, outcome, how is it that we've ended up with, with more deaths than, than Italy and the most in Europe? For me, if the government keeps saying, well, the international comparisons are difficult, well, maybe it's not a question of are we a bit ahead or a bit behind Italy. The question is, why aren't we Germany? Why aren't we uh, South Korea? And that's not saying that because, you know, I, I'm somebody who's hugely critical of the government. I've been willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But we are reaching the point, I think, where the government needs better answers to those questions, particularly when yeah. you've got someone as skilled as Keir Starmer asking them. The point the government will have to answer is not just about comparisons to other countries, but comparisons to what we might have expected, all the death rates in similar months, and by how much we're exceeding that, and in what groups, i.e. in care homes and um, and in certain sectors of the population. There is a kind of a base of statistics for our own country against which we can judge that. So I think this kind of shrugging off of the death toll will not work forever. But then, you know, one of the most uh, remarkable things to remember always is that Twitter is not Britain. And if you look at the opinion polls, Actually, the government is still credited with handling it the crisis well. Boris Johnson's personal ratings are still high. Uh, that might change, of course, over time. That could uh, shift. And actually, far from talk of the lockdown fraying, which is what we keep being told, is that most people want it to last uh, for longer and longer. Esther, lovely to uh, to sit and watch PMQs with you again, uh, albeit not in the uh, press gallery. Although, of course, if we weren't in the press gallery, we'd get told off for talking. You can barely cough for that. One of the doorkeepers coming over and ticking you off. Uh, but that was PMQs. Boris Johnson back in the in a very strange uh, Commons chamber, uh, more like a courtroom with uh, Barrister Sir Keir Starmer prosecuting uh, his case across the dispatch box. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes uh, and sign up to the morning email, the Red Box morning email. Go to thetimes.kdk forward slash Red Box where you can get me or at the moment Esther filling in uh, on Fridays and Esther will be picking up and running with the, the Red Box ball when I uh, move to Times Radio later this summer. But for now... Uh, my thanks to Esther. For me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.